G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Special welcome to 2020 to Waleed Shubat. Hello, Waleed. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Waleed, thank you for staying up late. Uh, You're there in the US. What time is it uh, locally for you? Uh, Well, uh, it's about not that late. It's um, nine o'clock. Okay, well, appreciate you staying up late to talk to us and uh, we're inviting listeners to call in with questions or comments about some of the things that we'll talk about. Uh, You, we've spoken a number of times. Uh, Let's just recount some of your early history for listeners who might not know you so well. Uh, I mentioned that uh, in your early days you were a member of the Muslim Brotherhood or the Palestinian Liberation Organisation. Just recount for us quickly your early years. Well, yes, I grew from an American mother. I was born by an American mother who visited the Middle East, was prevented from going back to her country, to the U.S. Uh, My father was Palestinian Muslim. I grew up there uh, in my teenage life. I got in trouble, as you mentioned. Actually, it wasn't a firebomb. It was a real bomb. Uh, A firebomb would be a Molotov cocktail. But anyway, I uh, was radicalized at a young age and was imprisoned got involved in terrorism, came to the this, this United States. And uh, in the United States, of course, I was active. And later on, I joined the Muslim Brotherhood because I wanted something more of the puritanical type. And, of course, you know, you get married. You begin to think twice about your life. In 1993, I began to challenge my wife to convert to Islam. She challenged me back with a question, where are the corruptions in the Bible? And that journey ended me becoming a Christian. And so I became an author, speaker, and then later on I realized that speaking was not enough and being an expert on terrorism was not enough. Uh, I looked at the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 25, for I was hungry, you gave me food, I was naked, you clothed me, I was in prison, you visited me. I began to think that teaching the Bible Speaking the Bible is not enough. We have to do the Bible. And so I had a heart for the persecuted church uh, in the Middle East. I started Rescue Christians, and we're growing. And so now I'm doing all kinds of things and very busy. (laughs) And uh, I thank God for that journey, and he opens the doors for so many things for us. Some of our listeners will be familiar with your visit to Australia just a few years ago. Uh, Do you have any impressions uh, front of mind about your visit then and uh, uh, the people you met here in Australia? Oh, I loved it very much. I was with Chuck Missler, did an excellent tour there, loved the people, loved everything in Australia. Uh, I would call it, you know, if I ever have to flee from persecution from the U.S., I probably would choose Australia. Uh, it's just a lovely place, and it's a wonderful place, and many, many good, solid Christians there. Uh, and I, it, it really it impressed my heart, because I made tours before into Great Britain, and I've seen the decay of the churches there. I've seen the decay of Christianity in Great Britain. I've been in the BBC speaking to millions. 
and it was pretty depressing to go to the west to the uh, Oxford Union, you know, debate there and see the basically corruption and the decay of uh, the Christian values uh, in, in in Europe. Now, let's get into some of the meaty issues. You're talking about the decay of Christian values uh, in Europe, and, of course, uh, you're a resident there in the United States. Uh, The Western world in general has a decay of those Christian values. At the same time, there is a rise in Islamization in so many countries around the world. Is this one of the major issues that we face in the world today? It is the major issues, especially when we look at the, the situation in the Middle East and in the Muslim world. Most Westerners need to start thinking that Islam is really the second largest religion out there after Christianity, of course. And most are really Oriental. You know, uh, Indonesia would be a Muslim country, the southern republics of Russia there. That's an entire region, you know, and you have the entire Middle East. You have Turkey, gigantic power peg that is arising in the horizon. And biblically, the Bible warned us about this. And I've been, uh, you know, uh, leading this issue of focusing on Islam from from a biblical perspective, not just from a secular perspective, but just from a biblical perspective in which we see in Scripture, in many places, in many areas, that God has really warned us about the anti-Trinitarian there. In other words, when we look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, it's very clear. You know, the Antichrist has the spirit of denial of father and son. That's the whole issue. We look at the persecution going on. Where is it going on? Majority in the Muslim world. Right now it's going on in Syria. Uh, it's escalating in Iraq. Uh, it's escalating in Africa. We have wars in Africa. Uh, we have in Nigeria problems, you know, just lately, uh, kidnapping of Christian girls, and the U.S. has to respond to this issue now. Uh, all this whole thing, if you look at them collectively, they are really a war on Christianity. That's the bottom line. They want us to deny the Father and the Son. That is the spirit of Antichrist. So since I've started in 1993 till now, I have really written uh, volumes on the subject, uh, several books on the subject, in which I've warned way before these events. I've even named the countries. It's not that I was brilliant of any sort. I've just simply, you know, borrowed this information from the Bible. It was there. I read it. I read the Bible like a newspaper, and what I found out was astonishing, that the Middle East is going to be the reason. When the Bible says four beasts arises out of the Great Sea, we have to understand the Great Sea is the Mediterranean region. That is what we see in the Middle East, you know. And we look at John, and we look at Revelation, and the body of a leopard, feet of a bear, mouth of a lion. We understand the leopard is the Grecian Empire. That's the 1040 window. Ask any Christian, what's the 1040 window? You know, take a look at the map. It's the Islamic world. So, you know, the Grecian kingdom anciently, which John foresaw, arising with the feet of a bear, that's Iran, mouth of a lion, that would be Arabia, Babylon in this case. Uh, And, you know, we can get into the details of the biblical perspective, but the interesting thing is that we look at the situation today in Syria. You know, we look at the war in Syria, the civil war in Syria. We look at the immigration of million, uh, over two million people from Syria into uh, Kerr, where is Karak, even Amus, in chapter 1. It 
talks about Damascus, and the people will flee from Damascus. They will go to Kerr, which is Karak. You go to Jordan today. Karak is in Jordan. You look at the you know, refugees there. One of the largest hub of Syrian refugees is in Karak. So we're beginning to see the embryo of really uh, a fading away of the current regimes in the Middle East and arising in Islamist regimes. We see in Egypt, you know, many Westerners get hopeful in Egypt. They think that, you know, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood has been ousted. Don't think so fast. The Muslim Brotherhood still has a sting. It's moved into Turkey. It's going to operate from Turkey. It's coming back with vengeance, with a much bigger power, and that is the Turkish regime. And I've talked about Turkey in your program how many times? And we see Turkey's incursions into Syria. We see Turkey's incursions into Kasab, Armenian village. We see the suffering of Armenians there. So many Armenians worry about another genocide. Well, these things are on the horizon. We're beginning to see the embryo. So there's still some time left. But uh, we have to really uh, take note. It's not as the, as the God of the Bible forgot to tell us. It's that we forgot to look at what God has already been telling us for 2,000 years. Waleed, wanting to invite our listeners to be a part of our conversation today, uh, you might have some thoughts on Bible prophecy, the events in the Middle East. Uh, You might have some thoughts on perspectives on Bible prophecy, and uh, we'll be talking about the difference between an Eastern perspective and a Western perspective today too. Uh, You might have some questions or comments about the security of Christian believers uh, and persecution issues. You can participate in our conversation today. Waleed Shubat is our guest. Our telephone number, if you'd like to be a talkback caller, 1-800-880-876. That's 1-800-880-876. Waleed, I'd like to talk to you about a fearfulness uh, that even Christian believers have. It's like an ignorance in the secular media, uh, secular society that doesn't think uh, that religious issues are even important. They marginalize uh, these issues of faith, whether they're uh, Eastern faith or Western faith. Uh, There is a sense, isn't there, that as Christians, uh, we can be fearful uh, once we start to understand what is at stake uh, with the rise of Islamization in the world. Yeah, you know, the world always focuses on issues that they're afraid of the most. You know, I remember decades ago, uh, mankind thought he was going to eradicate disease and eradicate bacteria. You know, uh, certain bacteria will be no more. And now we see that man could not eradicate bacteria. In fact, there's reports from the World Health Organization that clearly says that you cannot even, you, uh, the, that the uh, uh, antibiotics, will be ineffective. They're, in fact, ineffective currently, is what they're saying. So we could see if mankind could not eradicate disease. In fact, we're going back to square one with fighting a bacteria. What is it like when mankind thinks that the world is really at war regarding economy and regarding these things? You know, it's all economic. Everything's about money and everything's about this and that. But that's not true. The world is going to, you know, turn into a major war zone over religion over the issue of faith, over the issue of one thing, that the Islamic world wants us to deny the Father and the Son. They want us to deny the crucifixion. They want us to bow to Mecca. That's the bottom line. And we see Jerusalem becoming a focal point every day. We see Erdogan of Turkey in the past saying Jerusalem is the apple of the eye of every Muslim. 
Well, excuse me, Mr. Erdogan. Last I read the Bible in Zechariah. It says Jerusalem is the apple of God's eye. That is not the apple of the eye of every Muslim. And why is the focus on Jerusalem? So we go back and look at Zechariah. Jerusalem is becoming an issue. And this is going to escalate in the next decade or so. And we're going to see this arising. So, you know, the bottom line is what God said. It is a war over God. It is a war over the soul of humanity. It is a war over whether Christendom survives or whether Christendom is destroyed. It is a war over whether the Jewish people survive or whether the Jewish people are annihilated. This is a final solution, not just to the Jewish people, but of the Christian as a whole. Because Christians are considered, along with Jews, as the people of the book, uh, are you saying that Christians are in the firing line as much as Jews are? Even more. You know, we have to understand when Christ talked about his brethren. A lot of times you find confusions about this issue. You know, the brethren is Israel, the brethren is the church. You know, I always take the stand of the movie Reptavia, Fiddler on the Roof. You know, two people can't be right. They have an argument. You know, you're right. Well, you know, the other guy says something totally the opposite. He says, you know what, you're also right. And a third person says, you both can't be right. And he says, you know what, you are also right. In other words, when we look at the Bible, the brethren of Christ... He's looking at both. He's looking at his heritage, the promise that God gave to Abraham. He will never renege on that promise. It's an issue of land. In Joel chapter 3, Christ judges the world for the issue of dividing the land of Israel. We see the talks. We see Hamas and the PA, the Palestinian administration, uniting. Now what is going to do with this whole peace process? A monkey wrench is thrown into it because Hamas is considered a terrorist organization. So now we see the true colors of the PA, the Palestinian administration. There is no real partner for peace. It is a war between the Islamic view and the Judeo-Christian view. That's the bottom line. And so the Bible is being fulfilled as we speak. And we have to really focus on God's word. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. 2020 on Vision. It's Neil with you on 2020. Walid Shubat, our guest, former terrorist, member of the Muslim Brotherhood, these days travels the world, a Bible teacher, and specializes in talking about Bible prophecy. He's a great supporter of the nation of Israel and of rescuing people who are under persecution. Uh, Walid, let's get into some of the issues that are on our screens these days daily when we uh, look at international news. I want to talk about uh, nations like Syria and, of course, uh, what might be unfolding there between Ukraine and Russia. Let's start with Syria first. Uh, Very serious accusations that there are human slaughterhouses in Syria. Is that true? Absolutely. In fact, there was a report by Al Jazeera, and uh, there was an interview uh, with a uh, FSA operative who was imprisoned by uh, a Nusra, and uh, the SISIS is involved in this whole thing. And it was from three years ago, in fact, by the time I began to try to see if what he said is true or not, I began to make contacts with my Syrian connections and found out that there is these videotapes of really human slaughterhouses. And what I mean by human slaughterhouses is exactly as you view a cattle slaughterhouse in which men are decapitated, hung upside down, Armenians, Christian Armenians. He gives the testimony of one Christian Armenian who is, you know, in the slaughterhouse, uh, who is about to be decapitated, 
and he talks about this Egyptian executioner who basically says, you know, your neck is soft, you're an elderly man, Uh, I wouldn't have to sharpen my knife, my blade, and he executes the Armenians. And you could see the videos. A video is worth a thousand books when you look at the situation. One of them was in Adana in Syria. One slaughterhouse was in Al-Bayyad. One is, is in Sabah. And uh, uh, it's exactly as this man described. Men are basically, uh, their, their heads are plucked out from the root, from the chest cavity. They're naked, hung upside down. And in one slaughterhouse, it was ran by a woman, a Sunni Muslim woman. They called her Um Ahmad. And you could see the piles of uh, legs, hands, limbs, very intricately carved. And also, I uh, discovered a situation of Kuru disease. Now, Kuru disease is an extinct disease that is caused from cannibalism. In other words, cannibalism have existed in Syria. They took the cases into Turkey and into Germany. Uh, so we have, uh, you know, cases of cannibalism. In fact, I began to talk about Islam and cannibalism a couple of years ago. And nobody believed me, of course. And of course, then came out a video of a terrorist eating what he thought was the heart of a Syrian soldier. It turned out to be the lung, and he ate it on video. And Americans and Westerners and Australians see this video and they, they couldn't believe what they're watching but it was no shock to me because that kind of teaching came also out of the largest islamic television network in egypt and nas tv and they taught about this whole thing and uh, giving examples in islam of how you can eat the flesh of your enemy and so we're looking at a situation that is so dark that you could have in the future i believe in the next decade you could be- see the movie Apocalypto, if you recall that movie. You could see it live, he- you know, humans eating humans. And this is no longer my theory. This is becoming a reality. Well, it- I've documented Yes. Yeah, let's. Uh, I just wanted to uh, ask you about beheading, because there is uh, beheading mentioned in the book of Revelation uh, about end times. And I remember decades ago thinking, well, that's a little bit far-fetched, talking about beheadings in a modern era. But beheadings have been a part of uh, the way that uh, Islamists and radical Islamists have dealt with uh, infidels. Is there any connection there in a rise in beheadings around the world? Uh, oh, I look at my website, shubat.com, S-H-O-E-B-A-T.com, every day. In fact, yesterday, I just showed uh, video clips on beheadings. Every day, I get uh, footage of Muslims beheading people in Syria, in Iraq, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, beheadings galore. Uh, there's thousands upon thousands of beheadings. I'm just this wondering why. I'm just wondering why beheading is a preferred method of execution is in Islam. It is intended to terrify the enemy, and the most, the best way they could terrify the enemy is to decapitate the head, and that is so gruesome in which people begin to fear Islam. We have to understand that these Islamists want subjugation. You know, it's about subjugating. It is a continual reconditioning of the masses in order to make them basically vehement warriors. Uh, So we have to understand basically first is what is the definition of the Islamic movement. The true definition of the Islamic movement 
That is, it's a religious conditioning by using illusions of misery and reflecting to the glory days of the past when Islam was triumphant. Take a look at everything they show. The Islamists always talk about their misery. Well, their misery is self-inflicted, or the misery is caused by reaction from the nations that they invade and they cause problems at. And they take all this misery and they reflect upon it to call for a glory days when Islam was triumphant in order to convert the masses of the entire world to become angry, pride-filled, remorseless killers and suicide seekers. And this is why they want to die in the cause of Allah, because they believe by the first drop of the martyr's blood, the Muslim martyr in this case, not only he enters paradise, but he becomes an intercessor for 70 members of his or her family. So this is an issue of salvation to the Islamist. The only method of salvation for the Islamist is to have his blood shed. In other words, it's a pride-filled mentality that wants to take the place of Christ, because only the blood of Christ would take away our sins. And in their view, it's by the shedding of their own blood that their sin is taken away. And of course, the goal is to intimidate non-Muslims. This is why they have beheadings, fear, fear tactics, threats, in order to reestablish a utopian theocratic world order in which Islam and Muslims are dominant and all non-Muslims are subservient. Any, anybody who tells you that is not the definition of it is either a slick willy lying or is basically naive. There are many Muslims who are naive about the nature of the beast. Uh, however, you know, this is going to change by the day. And in fact, Christianity is growing in areas like those in which Muslims who are naive are beginning to see the truth of the gospel. Let's come back and focus in on Syria, because uh, we're talking about Syria, and I got a little bit sidetracked there. But uh, when we look at the events that are unfolding in Syria, uh, do you see a direct correlation with those things that you read uh, in the Bible, uh, connected with Bible prophecy being fulfilled? Absolutely, but people are too quick to judge when it comes to, let's say, issues of Isaiah 17, the destruction of Damascus. They would think that uh, what's happening in Syria is the prophecy being fulfilled. But I don't think so. There's a long term. We have to always look at Isaiah 17, 18, 19. You know, all these will happen all at the same time uh, sequentially. But we're beginning to see the embryo of what's happening in Damascus. However, it's going to turn all Islamists first. We always have to understand the demography of the region. There's Russia on one side that is involved in the equation. It wants its access to Tartus, which is the waterway in the Mediterranean. Syria is a bone of contention for Russia. Syria is also a bone of contention for Turkey. It used to be part of the Ottoman Empire. And with the growth of neo-Ottomanism, now we see Turkish inclusion into the northern parts of, southern parts of, is it, sorry, is it northern, I forgot, but into the parts of, I believe, northern Syria, in which the areas of Kassab, in which you see this inclusion. So eventually, not only Syria, but the entire Middle East is going to become a bone of contention. You have also Hagia Sophia in Turkey, also a bone of contention with the Orthodox Christians globally, with Russia also. Russia is turning very Orthodox Christian. And many think Russia is being, you know, in the Bible, Gog. I disagree with that. That's another long discussion. But understanding the demography of the situation in which you have Turkey on one side, Russia on one side, Syria in the middle, 
and the issue of Israel and everything else, it, the, 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 the issue becomes a major play on the, who's going to become the superpower in the region. And of course, you have Iran. You know, Iran is being undermined currently because the U.S. is supporting Turkey. Of course, the U.S. in its mindset thinks that this sectarian violence that's going on is going to keep the Islamists weakened. And by that, they reap benefits because it keeps them weak. But however, there's a major problem that we need to think about. Turkey. Turkey is Sunni. Its brand of Islam is different from the Wahhabist of Saudi Arabia, which vehemently is anti-Shiite. But Turkey has great reverence for many of the Shiite icons like Ali, Hassan, and Hussein. Those are the major icons of the Shia, which are hated basically by the Sunni Wahhabist. However, with Islamic Sufism, as Turkey is, and having no qualms with the Shiites loving Ali and Hassan and Hussein, if you look at Hagia Sophia converted to a mosque, you would see Ali, Hassan, Hussein emblems right within the mosque that's you know, converted from a church, which means that it is the unifying factor that will eventually unify Iran with Turkey with the rest of the Middle Eastern region. Of course, this is going to be detrimental for Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia right now notices the dangers. In fact, Saudi Arabia is losing support from the U.S. because the U.S. right now is uh, flush with oil. It's got tremendous oil re reserves, and it's going to be exporting oil pretty soon. So Saudi Arabia sees the writing on the wall. We have to understand Saudi Arabia is really the Babylon of the Bible. You know, they see the writing on the wall that its destruction is coming soon. And so they're running quickly to try to solve the issues, to try to even purchase nuclear weapons from Pakistan, whoever is going to build it for them. And, the, you know, the nuclear uh, armament is on its way. Turkey, of course, is making deals with Japan by 2026 to gain nuclear as well. And so we're going to see that the Western efforts to basically divide Shia from Sunni in the near future will basically bounce back in their faces. This happened before when they were anti-communist or anti-Russia, in which we gave Stinger missiles to the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. Later on was the birth of the Taliban. We had to fight the Taliban. So it, the efforts of the West to weaken the Islamists in the future will end up you know, bouncing back into their faces because they do not understand the nature of Islam and Muslims. They don't understand the history, the demography, the makeup of the society. We have to understand Iran is ran by Aziri Turks. They are Turkish in their heritage. In other words, Iran is run by Turks, and also Turkey is run by Turks. This is going to be a unifying factor in which you're going to see the leopard, Turkey, which is Greece, really, with the bear, feet of a bear, Iran. The bear isn't Russia. The bear is Medo-Persia, as Daniel, you know, told us. No real historian would agree to the synopsis that we see in the modern prophetic interpretation. So we've been right all along for two decades, mm. dating the status quo. And as we see it happen, you see it yourself, that what we see is the rising of an Islamic uh, unification of several nations. They will never adhe be adhesive to each other. Iron will not mix with clay. There'll be some weak and some strong. 
Indeed, they are a revival of a Roman Empire because Turkey is part of the Roman Empire. Indeed, it's a revival of a Greco Empire because it is in the Greco areas. Indeed, Christ even fights the Greco Empire when Zechariah chapter 9 uh, have bent Judah my bow, fitted the bow with Ephraim, and set up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece. Yavan, Greece, Yavan, Ionia. That is, Ayawan, Ionia is in none other than Turkey. And we see Erdogan at work very heavily. He's talking about building a uh, canal, the Istanbul Canal. If you want to see some major canal that will basically dwarf the Suez Canal, he's the first in seven you know, consecutive, uh, not consecutive, seven Ottoman leaders who wanted to build the canal, much bigger, much larger uh, than the Bosporus, which will basically uh, you know, transport oil in a way that we could never even imagine. And it will open itself to the West. They're, opening, they're going to build it on the European side. And also it's going to be shipping weapons and everything else, and it does not have international control. In other words, Turkey will become the most powerful nation in the region. It's Neil with you on this edition of 2020. Our special guest, Walid Shubat, live from the United States. He stayed up late to talk to us here in Australia today. A former terrorist member of the Muslim Brotherhood and the PLO, now a Bible teacher and a supporter of the nation of Israel. And we are taking your calls, one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six. if you have a question or a comment about our conversation today. Our uh, lines are, uh, are full. Kerry from Rockhampton. Hello, Kerry. What's your question for Waleed? Yeah, hello. How are you going? Very good, thanks, Kerry. What's your question? Yeah, Wally, I just want to um, throw, throw up another perspective to you about the beast. Are you there? Yes. Uh, yeah, Waleed well, is there. many perspectives. Um, I've been blessed and privileged. I've been watching uh, some DVDs, about 50 hours all up. Um, and it seems to line up with the Bible as well, that, you know, that the beast is the Roman papacy. What do you think about that? Well, uh, I don't see the Roman papacy in the Bible. When the Bible says whore, prostitute, it's really a prostitute, not a woman that was married who became prostitute. There's no allusion anywhere in John that says that. Second. Yeah. John was taken to the desert. He wasn't taken to Rome. Thirdly, the destruction of this uh, Babylon in the Bible is pretty much de- described in Jeremiah 49, 15, 51, in which it says, I heard the noise of her destruction at the Red Sea. Now, you take a look at Arabia. You'll find it in Isaiah 21, the burden against the desert of the sea. And it says, literally, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. The same reference as in John. But if you continue in Isaiah 21, it uses the word Arabia. It says the burden against Arabia. There's no mention of the burden against Rome anywhere in Scripture. In fact, there are blessings upon Rome in Scripture. It shall be called the city of saints. So, you know, it is, in fact, if you want to take this position, here's the problem. You will find even pre-Protestant movement Okay, you find uh, heresies that came out with the same description. We would not agree with, his heres- with the heretics. Even the Mormons, even the Book of Mormon says that the harlot basically is Rome. Why would we agree with the Mormons? And why would we be so divided? I understand that there's much theological difference in some areas between Protestant and, and uh, Roman Catholic, or Orthodox in this case, 
But no one can tell me in the world and prove one question, that the Antichrist denies the Father and the Son. In fact, in four references in the Bible, where it discusses Antichrist, the word Antichrist, in all references, it discusses Antichrist as denies Father, Son, and that's the bottom line. Catholic does not deny Father and Son, so that's out of the equation. And for many, many other reasons, the destruction of it is basically, uh, you know, the, the shipmasters at the sea weep and wail, alas, alas, that great city. It's a spiritual city. Now, if we take a look at Arabia, which I said it is Babylon, what do we find out today? And we, have, we don't have much time, but something that people need to start looking at. Uh, in uh, Arabia right now, we have Mecca. And in Mecca, the Muslims have rebuilt what they call Babylon. In fact, if you look at Babel, the whole situation of Babel uh, from a biblical perspective, what was the situation? Yeah, can Let I, us take uh, everything can I just, we have. Yeah, I appreciate all that information. Um, but Muhammad married a devout uh, Catholic, didn't he? False. Absolutely false. He never married a devout Catholic. This kind of information yeah, comes out of the chick. Her name is it Kedis. comes out of the chick pub. It comes out of the Chick publication. You will never find a single historian. Here's the question you have to ask yourself. Go do a research in, you, in which you find a reputable historian, not Chick publication or you know, a, a website or a blog, but find a reputable historian who would agree with the notion that Muhammad was involved with Catholics. Absolutely false. Waraqa ibn Nawfal her uncle, Khadija's uncle, was not even Catholic. It is false. In fact, if you look even at the edicts of Islam, when they were killing Christians, they even refused to kill the Unitarian Christians. In other words, the Aryans. The Aryans were allowed to live. You look at the Umar Declaration. Look at the, uh, they were ordered to kill anybody with tonsors. Anyone who shaved with a tonsor shave is a Catholic. The Catholic priests were executed they hated the Catholics, and that's the whole idea. Islam came as a revolution against the Catholics and not pro-Catholic. Where in the Quran does it ever support anything about the Catholics? So really this is a misunderstanding of history. We can have hours of discussion just on that issue alone. If you want to look at the blood of the saints, for example, you know, remember, the harlot has the blood of the saints. She drank the blood of the saints. So we must assume the Catholic Church drank the blood of the saints and killed all the Christians. Once you look at many of these uh, uh, claims, uh, whether you look at the Cathars or the Albigensians, these weren't Bible-believing Christians. These were heretics. Uh, so you must uh, take a look at the history. The, those wars that the Catholics had with many, you know, not informed Protestants write these books. I can share with you a tremendous amount of information on this issue. Mm. Kerry None from Rockhampton. Kerry, thank you for your call. I appreciate you being a part of 2020 today. Wally, there's a, an interesting uh, sideline question that comes out of uh, this discussion about Catholics and Protestants, because for a long time, uh, people have upheld all sorts of views about the Catholic Church, and it's almost fueled a division between Catholics and Protestants. Uh, with the rise of Islam, are you saying that if you get over that whole uh, divisive issue of, of people thinking that the Catholic Church is the whore of Babylon, that in fact both sides need to unite because there is need for resistance uh, to a common threat? That's correct. In fact, you can find Protestants 
you know, pointing very good points about the errors of the Catholics. But you can also find Catholics pointing errors of the Protestants. For example, you know, during the Catholic Alliance uh, war in Vienna, it was the Protestants who aided the Muslims. In the War of Vienna, there was Protestant soldiers on the ships fighting alongside the Muslims against the Catholic Alliance. It was the Catholic Alliance that protected Europe. The Protestants didn't fight the Muslims. Uh, so we have to give credit where credit is due. Mm. Had it not been for Charles Martel, the hammer, and the Battle of Poitiers, all of us, you know, including you, you would have been Muslim. So it was the Catholic history that really had Christian militarism. And you look at the Protestants or the evangelicals, especially in the West, they say, you know, Christianity is not about war. But, but there's one question I should ask about that. You know, we allow Israel to have war. We bless Israel for fighting wars in 1967 and in 1948. If the Jews allowed to have war and we say God blessed it, why can't the Christian have a war of defense? Christianity is not about war and battle, but it does have elements where we can defend ourselves. And that's the part that has basically been dismantled. Very modern view in Christianity, in the Protestant circles, and in the evangelical circles. And it's been a disaster. We have to look at the history of Christendom. We know there's this whole hatred of Constantine. There's this whole, you know, so it's a miscued information about history. And people can take a look at several historic articles we have on Shubat.com and basically get a refreshing view about the reality of why we should unite. We shouldn't unite basically spiritually agree on everything. No, we should keep our disagreements. But we need to agree on one thing, that the persecution by the Muslims, killing Christians, they're not going to differentiate and say, evangelical Pentecostals, green line, Catholics, blue line, Greek Orthodox, yellow line. This is going to be a ravine of blood killing every type of Christian that is out there. They do not care what kind of Christian it is. And God uses Catholics, and God uses Protestants, and God uses Evangelicals. God uses all the Christians who really after God's heart, not after the denominational issue. So we need to put this denominational issue aside, not abandon them. No, by God, no. We should keep the denominations, whoever they are, because we cannot mingle everything together because then we have problems. We need to have differentiations when it comes to areas of theology. Waleed Chubat is our guest. We're talking all sorts of issues to do with Bible prophecy, events in the Middle East, uh, the way that denominations and uh, divisions within Christianity are are, uh, able to be healed potentially. Uh, We'll continue our conversation in just a few moments. You can participate in our conversation, 1-800-880-876. Motherhood can impact people in different ways, some expected and some not so expected. On the next Focus on the Family Australia, we've invited three mothers into the studio, Kate Ryan, Nikki Tucker and Natalie Barron. They'll discuss what motherhood has taught them about themselves and how their faith has helped them in their parenting. That's next time on Focus on the Family Australia. Saturday mornings after 8 Western, 9.30 Central and 10 Eastern on Vision. Want wholesome, positive TV the whole family can enjoy? Visit acctv.com.au This week's Saturday Night Family Movie. Marvin Mobley dreams of becoming a great baseball player, but no matter how hard he tries, he doesn't improve. 
After finding a mysterious pair of glasses, Marvin turns into the best baseball player his town has ever seen. Slow Mo, Saturday at 7pm EAST, on station sponsor ACC TV. The ball comes in now and uh, really... Uh, what? <laughs> it's frustrating when things don't work like they should. It is for us too. It takes a lot of effort to keep a station on air, and sometimes we need you to help. Storms, strong winds, and little mishaps can affect our broadcast. So if something happens to your local vision station, let us know, and we'll do everything we can to fix it. Yeah! Contact us anytime on 1-800-00-0770 or at our website, vision.org.au. Helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020. It's Neil with you on 2020. Our special guest live from the United States, Waleed Shubat, who stayed up late to talk to us today. We're talking about Bible prophecy and events in the Middle East. Uh, we're running short of time, Waleed. Uh, one listener had a question just to address uh, briefly. Gwendolyn called. Uh, she asked for your views on what is happening in Sudan. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, Sudan is a war between southern Sudan, which is Christian Sudan, and northern Sudan, which is Islamist Sudan, which is allied and was basically an extraction of the Muslim Brotherhood of Egypt. And this is why they wanted to unify in some time between Sudan and Egypt when under Morsi they had this sort of ideas going on. And of course, President Obama's brother is very much involved in Sudan. He works for Omar al-Bashir officially, which is a terrorist organization, basically. Uh, the Sudanese government is considered a terror entity. And so uh, southern Sudan has the oil. You have the Nuba uh, region in which uh, the Islamic Sudan has air force, and they basically bombard the Christians, and they want to basically reunify Sudan under Islam, in which basically we've seen uh, a decade or so ago the persecution of Christians. So um, over a million Sudanese Christians gave their lives in fighting and combating with Islamic fundamentalism, which tells me one thing, that who is killing Christians globally? It's number one, and that is the Islamic world. Okay, we've got time to take another call or two. Kerry Perkins. uh, Kerry, you've got a question about Psalm 136. Welcome to 2020. Hi. Kerry, what's your question for Waleed? Well, I was just wondering what Waleed's take was um, on Psalm 136, where there's three, there's three who are fallen. There's the Amorites, there's the Ogabashan, and there's Egypt. Um, there's yeah. in Revelation it talks of how there's the ten and the eleventh horn comes up, um, and in Daniel there's a similar thing. What is your take, like? Um, with Moses, Moses, these fell with Moses, and then Joshua took, and there was a seven. Can you see a, um, like they were an example of what was to come? Is, is yeah, as far as Egypt this? goes, as far as Egypt goes, it's a central focus in the Bible. In fact, Isaiah 19 talks about Egypt, that Egypt will have a civil war that will be given to a demonic spirit. You look at the zombies in Egypt today. I mean, there's zombieism in Egypt. And also Egypt is mentioned in Ezekiel uh, chapter 30, I believe, which really gives us a much better picture when it comes to the nations involved in 38, in which Lydia, Turkey, is involved. Egypt as well is involved. And let's not forget, you know, if you look at the seven mountains being seven kingdoms, seven empires in the past, the first will be the Egyptian empire, you know, the pharaohs. 
and then comes the uh, Syrian, Babylonian, Medo-Persian, Grecian, and then Roman. The seventh one will be the Islamic in this case, and revival is number eight. So as far as horns goes, we do not know exactly uh, that's future, but it will be basically the culmination of all the uh, empires in the past. Greece had ten kingdoms, or divided into four. You add them up, it comes to ten. And so the tenth would be the Turkish Empire, uh, whoever was maybe Suleiman the Magnificent, the eleventh, would be the, the Antichrist himself. That scenario is probably will take hours to go over. But it's a great question to understand that Egypt's Muslim Brotherhood plays a major focal point because it is the unifying factor with Egypt because the revival of the caliphate stems from Turkey when the head wound happened in Turkey and we have no more Khalifa. That's what they want, a Khilafah, and that's what the Sultanate is about, and that's what Erdogan is all about. Thank you to Kerry for your input today here on 2020. Waleed, just a few minutes to go before news. Saudi Arabia, it's an... A, it's a nation that is right bang center in your thoughts at this time and connections with Bible prophecy. What should we be thinking about Saudi Arabia? Well, people need to read an article I have, a research titled Muslims Rebuild the Tower of Babel. It's a shocking research. If you ask an, uh, Westerners today, where is Mount Babel? They would think you're talking about an archaeological site in Iraq. But if one asks an Arab today, where is Mount Babel? They would tell you it is in Mecca, in Arabia, which has seven massive buildings reminiscent to the Tower of Babel, in ancient Tower of Babel. It was called the Seven Towers of the Light. That's ancient Babel. Now we have seven massive, the largest massive building structure in the world used for religious purpose is called the Tower of the House. And by the way, it is built on literally what the Arabs called Mount Babel. Take a look at it. It's a magnificent structure. It is three times the size of the tallest building in the world in Dubai. Three times the size. It is literally the largest building in the world, and it has seven structures, and it has observatory to look at the different uh, cycles of the moon and the planetarium, exactly what the Tower of Babel was used Let's not forget what Babel was about. They said, let us build us a city, uh, speak in one language. Everybody abandons their tongue and speaks in Arabic in Mecca. And let us, you know, use everything we have. They took pitch in ancient Babel, and today Arabia uses pitch, oil, and that's what makes the kings drunk. And it's in a desert, exactly as John predicted. You look at even Babel, the name Babel, the word Babel, is the gate to Allah. In fact, the Kaaba itself, the golden gate in the Kaaba, it's made out of pure gold. Muslims call it the gate to Allah, the Babil, Babillah. Uh, Babillah is literally means the gate to Allah or the gate to God in this case. So literally what we have is the magnificent structure, you know, have been rebuilt, completed. And now we have Muslims looking at this whole structure they hate the structure. They want to destroy it. In fact, we look at the beast in the Bible. Hates the harlot, burns it, and destroys it. Now, if Rome was the harlot, does anybody believe that soon that Europe will destroy uh, the Vatican? For what? You know, there is nothing like Arabia and nothing like Mecca. That is the harlot. That is what basically seduces all the, all the kings around it. Everybody bows to the Kaaba. 
Everybody bows to the Blackstone. We have run out of time. Let me point people to your website, www.shoebat.com, S-H-O-E-B-A-T.com. You can also get a load of great resources from ucbdirect.com.au. And you can also, when you're on Waleed's site, find out how to help rescue Christians under persecution. Waleed, thanks for being with us today on 2020. You bet. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.